Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are glad that you're with us today. Uh, please continue to check in. Let me know you're out there. It's uh, it's always nice to, to know who's watching and, and seeing these uh, videos. Just so, like I say every week, that when I come here to uh, to preach the sermon, in my mind, I I have an idea of, of who's out there and who's watching, and it helps me to stay connected with you uh, on staying connected with one another. Well, before I get there, just so you know, we're starting a, we're starting a new book today, and so we are starting uh, Galatians, and so if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do, that you can turn over to Galatians uh, chapter 1. And also, kind of bookmark over in Acts will be in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 19 as we get into the, the text. Um, but as you're going there, just um, in staying connected with one another, uh, our, our church family has uh, experienced some losses this week, and there are, are a couple families that are going through a difficult time. Last week, uh, Yolanda uh, Rios um, learned that her sister passed away, and so they're grieving the loss of her sister. Uh, Also, on Thursday early morning, um, Danny and Marjorie Oka, they uh, traumatically lost their young son, Connor, who we know, and and so we've been um, just caring for them, and and please uh, keep them in your prayers. This is... Uh, this is um, these are always very difficult times and and challenging and and grief that uh, one can only imagine to lose a child uh, to lose a sibling uh, these are these are difficult times um, it it forces us to sort of reflect on what we're doing here and and why we come why we gather why we um, why we study the scripture is our our lives are fleeting, and uh, we need Christ and the gospel and and this is of the utmost importance that we um, can review in our life and so as we come to Galatians today, the gospel throughout the next few weeks is is front and center uh I'll give a little bit of an introduction, but let's let's first pray, and then we'll get into the passage. So we'll be in Galatians chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 5 today, as sort of as we enter into this passage, uh, this section of Scripture. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for this time that we have with one another. Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide us today as we look at your word, as we go through this. Father, help us to see what has been said and, and what you are saying to us and for us to truly uh, to hear a word from you that we would uh, just hear your voice and that we would uh, really align ourselves uh, to your instruction. Father, we ask that you would encourage us, that you would give us hope, uh, that you would lead us uh, through uh, these times and this day, and, and Lord, may we honor you with our lives and all that we do and all that we think and all that we are. We pray this in Christ's good name. All right, so so here we are at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the other brethren who are with me, 
to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and our Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Father, so much is in these first few verses, and Lord, we ask that you would truly help us now. Father, I pray that you would help me as I speak. Uh, Father, that you would lead me, that you would guide me, and that you would give us ears to hear a word from you, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, so Galatians is, is, is one of these uh, books of the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, that it sort of stands in, it, in its own right. Um, it, it's often compared to, uh, like Romans, it's sort of one of these uh, books that's bold, and it's different, and it's very much in your face and dealing with critical, critical issues theologically that are dealing with justification, which truly um, is probably what the most important thing. Justification is the issue of like, how do we stand before God? Uh, you know, the Bible goes through, it makes a case that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God, that we stand condemned. And so how do we uh, right ourselves before God and how do we go about uh, entering into this relationship with him? And so Galatians uh, attacks this head on. Uh, God has used this letter to to really uh, to, to upset the world in many cases. A few years ago, back in 2017, in October, on October 31st, we celebrated the uh, 500th anniversary of, of the Reformation. And so back in 1517, God used this letter to, to really uh, pierce the heart of a, of a priest by the name of Martin Luther, who, who sparked the whole Reformation. And he writes on this book, concerning this book, he says, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. And so he lived during an era where the church sort of added to grace. And, and not to get into the debate today, but there are many who uh, take grace and then they want to add to it. So Jesus did his part, and now it's up for you to do your part, to, to pay back uh, for your sins and to, to live a life so that uh, you sort of close the gap. Martin Luther discovered this book and, and read through it. He, he wrote uh, commentaries on it. He lectured his students on it. And, and really, uh, there was the breakaway from the Catholic Church. And, and he ultimately, like many gave their life in this this defense of grace, and so it's a it's a huge, huge book. He he often referred to this book as his uh, spiritual wife. Uh, for those of you that know the history of Martin Luther, he he married a, a nun, uh, Catherine, and they that was his you know his best friend as they live life. But he said, as far as spiritual matters are concerned, that Galatians was the book that he was married to spiritually, 
and he referred to it as his wife, uh, because the the truths in this letter are are, are critical. And so, uh, again, there's a battle over the issue of justification. It could be argued that the key verse of 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 Galatians, you know, argue it's the Bible doesn't say, oh, this is the key verse, but people as they read through and if they could just kind of pick one that sort of summarizes it, a verse that's in the running often is Galatians 5.1. And in Galatians 5.1, we read, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And so the gospel during Paul's time, it was under attack. Uh, People had come in, the Judaizers, and they had said that uh, grace alone cannot save you. It is up to you uh, to do these other things, uh, circumcision, the traditions of, of the Old Testament Jews and the Jews that had been living during this time. And so they said the work on the cross is nice, but it falls short of these other things. And so Paul, uh, in this letter, he really comes out swinging with, with that. Let's, let's, let's look at verse 1. So very n- normal introduction. We start with Paul, as we've seen in Thessalonians and the various New Testament letters. This is a very standard format. Who's writing and who is it to? And so Paul right away is introduced as the author of the letter. Nothing abnormal about this. And then he describes himself as an apostle. Now, he's, he is going to defend this. So Paul, the, the gospel's under attack. Uh, Paul is under attack. They're criticizing that he was not an, an apostle, that he did not have the authority uh, to speak in the manner in which he spoke, we'll see that he's going to sort of address where his, um, he's going to defend his, his apostleship and he's going to explain it. And, and so we need, a, we need to sort of understand what, uh, what does it mean to be an apostle? We live in a day and age where there's probably more in charismatic circles, you will hear people refer to themselves as apostles and uh, it's hard for me to judge their nature of and what they mean by that, but in a in a generic sense, apostle means a sent one, and so somebody could say I'm an apostle with a lowercase a, and and they they mean that they're one who goes and plants churches or starts organizations or starts things on behalf of God, and and um, I I would shy away from that from how the Bible uses it. Um, in Acts chapter 1, I warned you, so over in Acts chapter 1, uh, this is after Jesus had ascended, the Holy Spirit had, uh, they, were, they were waiting. Uh, in this, this turmoil, we had 12 apostles, and Judas had committed suicide. He'd hung himself. And, and so the church is lingering with the, 12, the 11 apostles. They knew that there were supposed to be 12 according to prophecy and sort of the plan, and so Peter in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, he stands up and he uh, begins to lead the church through this time. And he says, "At this, we read at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren 
a gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in the ministry. Uh, Verse 18, Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst into the middle. He burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language the field was called Hakaldema, that is, field of blood. And so he's describing a scene of where Judas had hung himself, fell open, and, and the outcome there. He goes on to say in verse 20, Uh, For it is written in the book of Psalms, let the homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. And let another take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that one of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barasabas, who was called Justice, also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So all of that to say, they were at a they were at a situation, they were waiting. This is right before Pentecost. Peter, in looking at the scripture, said, You know what, there's a there's prophecy concerning that this would happen, that Judas would 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 turn on Jesus and lead uh, the people who had condemned Jesus to him. It also says in the psalm that he would be replaced, and so we have an obligation to replace him. And they listed parameters on on who could be an apostle. And they said, number one, that that the person had to be around and witness the things from the time of John the Baptist uh, baptism, where Jesus was baptized, like his earthly ministry, until uh, his his resurrection. They had to witness the resurrected, resurrected Christ. So there's this, these parameters that are placed on him. Based on those two things, it makes it seem impossible for an individual today to be labeled as an apostle because none of us had the capacity to, to observe Jesus uh, during his earthly ministry. We also see from the apostles that they, their, their calling was often confirmed through miraculous signs and wonders. And so Paul, you know, there's, I'm not going to get into the debate. There's a debate. Was there, did there end up, was there, uh, so we had the original 12. Then we had Matthias. Then we had Paul that was later selected. And so the big question is, is Matthias a little, uh, 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 you know, a legitimate replacement to Judas? Which is, if he was, then that means that there were 13 apostles. Then we have Paul, 
And the question is, is, is Paul and Matthias, are they both uh, legitimate apostles? So if Paul is, and I hold that he was, then there could have been 14. Some would say, oh, Matthias wasn't actually, they, they got ahead of themselves. Uh, I'm not going to make that debate here. But that was a debate that was brewing then. And Paul's apostleship was being challenged that he wasn't an apostle. And, and the reason this is so important, because if Paul wasn't a, an apostle, then he didn't have the authority to speak on God's behalf, to, to write the New Testament. He writes the majority of the New Testament. The things we know about the church age came through the apostle Paul. And so they're challenging this. And they're challenging his authority, so he comes out and he says, Paul, an apostle, he's defending himself. Now, his story, for those of you that don't know, or it's good for us to remember, if you go over to um, Acts chapter 9, I have, I have bookmarked the wrong place here. So in Acts chapter 9, we come to the story in the first 16 verses of Acts chapter 9. Now, Saul, this is... Paul, uh, he would have had three different uh, names based on the culture, and so here he's using his Jewish name. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue, uh, letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so Paul was angry. He was very against the gospel. He's getting letters and authority to go base, to, <clears throat> to go wrangle up Jewish believers who have come to faith in the Messiah. So he has the authority to bring these individuals back. And in verse 3, we're told that as he was, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus uh, uh, and... Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So, I'm going to stop reading there. But so this is, Paul has this encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Paul was alive during Jesus' earthly ministry. We don't know how he, like, observed or what he did. But certainly he was around then. And so now the the resurrected Christ appears to Paul on the road to Damascus and rocks his world. Uh, From here, I know I said I wasn't going to keep reading, but we have to kind of go to the other side. And he's, uh, the other was a a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man 
named Ananias coming to lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So he has concerns. He said, Lord, I heard you. You want me to go and you want me to find Saul. But he says, I've heard about this man and, and he's done much harm to Jewish people who have trusted in the name of Jesus for salvation. And he is on a war path against us. And we know that he's in this region under the authority of, of, of the high priest and he can really do us harm. And so he... He's trying to get out of this, where he's trying to let, like, go, hey, God, you know that there, there's some concerns with your plan. And in verse 15 and 16, this is sort of the, the crux of, of what I want us to read. And so the Lord says to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so here Paul encounters Christ on the road to Damascus. He is blinded. He is sort of put on hold for three days to ponder. He's informed by the Lord that this individual is going to come to him with information. And then the scene shifts over to that individual who's afraid to go to Paul. God says, listen, Paul has been selected for my purpose, and he's going to suffer for my namesake. I... <clears throat> We, we go over all of this because the context, it is critical. The, the issue of, of circumcision was front and center. Ultimately, how does a Gentile person that's come to Christ, who has received forgiveness of their sins, how are they assimilated in, into the church, which is predominantly Jewish, uh, during this time? Uh, how do the traditions of old and what this new thing that was God that God was doing, um, like how does this fit together? And and these things would be hammered out in what's referred to as a Jerusalem Council, uh, because of the Jerusalem Council's importance and significance, found in Acts chapter fifteen. Next week we're going to spend all all of the week sort of looking at this. So it's. Believed, I'm of the the camp that Galatians was written uh, right before Paul headed to Jerusalem to sort of hammer out these things with the leadership in uh, in, in in Jerusalem. And so, uh, <clears throat> now I only got to the second word. <laughs> okay, so Paul an apostle, little backstory. But then Paul in in parenthetical statements, you you can see here. This is where he's like direct and firm with them. He says Paul an apostle, his apostleship was under attack, and so now he's he's uh, defending himself here. He always uses the word apostle. The only time that he didn't use the word apostle in his opening greeting is in he does it in every single letter with exception of Philippians and Thessalonians, these, these two churches that he had a, a, a deep relationship with. But here, instead of just saying Paul, an apostle, as if it was understood and accepted by the recipients, he knows that he's being challenged. And so this is added. He says, not sent. Remember, apostle means to be sent, um, capital A, sent by God. Um, 
not sent from men, nor through human agency. It makes you wonder if he's, you know, the great debate, is he challenging the Matthias situation or is he challenging these critics, their authority, that they had been sort of endorsed by uh, a, bod- a, a human body uh, over them. And he says, my apostleship doesn't come from man. It's not like a, it's not from, uh, you know, I think about myself and my own ordination, you know, like that was recognized that God had his hand on my life and it was men that came around and said, we see this in Gunnar's life. And so Gunnar went through a process and then they laid their hands on me and then they sent me out into to, to, to ministry. Um, he says, this isn't the case for him. He was not sent out from men nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, that, that his encounter was, was directly with the risen Christ, and it was Jesus himself who commissioned Paul as an apostle and has sent him out. Um, this, is, this, is, this is huge. He goes on to say, and he says, and all the brothers who are with me. Now, we don't, he doesn't name who these individuals are. It's believed that he's repeated, uh, uh, he, that he's with Barnabas. At this stage of the ministry, uh, Barnabas, who, uh, if you, we follow the story in Acts, after he was called, Barnabas, and Barnabas goes as sort of this comforter to him and, and as an advocate for Paul to, to the churches to say, listen, he has truly been uh, redeemed and he believes and God has called him as an apostle. I've been with him. I've walked with him. You don't have to be afraid of him. So Barnabas, Titus, Timothy, and others who he was with, he says he, he sends greetings from them. Or he doesn't send greetings. He just says he's writing on behalf of, of himself as an apostle and with them and the brothers who are with me. And so uh, he's kind of saying the views held in this letter, the, the issue of justification and how we get right with God, it's not just unique to Paul. That he has these other individuals who he's with, a part of the, the, the broader church, that, that they endorse what he's saying also. Then he addresses to who the letter is to. And we read, to the churches of Galatia. It's important to observe. I notice the ES at the end of churches. It's not to a particular church. It's to uh, churches. So there's, there were a number of churches sort of spread out over the region of, of Galatia. Galatia is modern-day Turkey. So if you're looking at Israel, if you were to go north and then to head west, I think on the camera it's the other way around. Uh, but so it's modern-day Turkey. And, and so when we get into the, the issue of the location of these churches, there's, there's a little bit of discussion. I don't want to make too big a, of a deal about it, but I do want to mention the two theories just... Um, in, in broad strokes, uh, there's a northern theory. And in short, there were the Gauls people. And so if he's writing to the Galatians, the northern theory is that he was writing to the Gauls up in, uh, up in the, the north. Um, the, the problem with this is there's no documentation that Paul was actually up there. And 
The Southern theory, which I hold to, and, and I think that the, the bulk of evangelical scholars hold to uh, the Southern theory, and it follows these, these cities in the, the South, that as he did his first missionary journey, it kind of follows the cities in the South of Galatia. Uh, the, the, problem, the, the names, though, they're Roman names and they're Roman cities, uh, but it seems to make m- most sense. And another factor of this which deals with the dating of the writing of Galatians. So it's believed that Galatians is probably one of the first New Testament books written along with Thessalonians. And the reason this this southern view, this early view makes sense is, as I've mentioned, uh, it's believed that this was written right before Paul headed uh, to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council dealing with these issues. Uh, certainly, if this was after the Jerusalem Council, the Jerusalem Council would be mentioned in the writing because uh, they sent a letter, and it was an it was sort of an absolute with authority. These things are true, and there's there's no mention of it. So this this so it seems to support that this letter was written early on. Okay, but ultimately, none of that really affects the the. The content of this letter, it's just sort of interesting. Then we get to verse 3. Grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So common uh, greeting. Uh, These words, though, grace and peace, I don't know that they're defended in any other book as they are within Galatians. Now, Grace would have been a common Greek greeting. Peace would have been the, the common vernacular for, for a Jewish greeting. Shalom. Still today, when they meet each other, they say shalom. Uh, <clears throat> but these words have significance, especially when we're dealing with um, our position or justification. Like, how are we justified before God? Like, how, how do we attain this? Now, Martin Luther, who loved this book, that this book was the most precious book to him, he, there's a quote by him that I thought was very good. He says, grace releases sin and peace makes the conscience quiet. The two, the two fiends that torment us are sin and conscience, but Christ has vanquished these two monsters and trodden them underfoot, both in this world and in the world to come. I love that, that, uh, that, that grace releases us from the condemnation of sin that we're under. We also condemn ourselves and our conscience that are, you know, I, I have such a guilty conscience to be forgiven by Christ, I know, and it took me a long time to accept the forgiveness. But so grace releases sin and peace makes the conscience quiet. I love this. And this is what Paul is, in his sort of his opening, he's wishing grace to them and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's asking that God would provide grace to them, that they would have this uh, forgiveness of sins and right standing with their creator, that, that he would provide peace to them. Um, and 
He's going to expand upon the Son. So as he says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. As he speaks about Lord Jesus Christ, he, he's going to expand upon this. And we, we move into verse 4, and verse 4 is significant. They've uh, suggested that this might be sort of the one of the earliest written uh, documentations sort of on justification and, and the process of how it's actuated in our life. So he goes on to say, who gave himself for our sins. He's speaking about Jesus Christ and on this, he's expanding upon Jesus who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever. Amen. This 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 verse is significance. Uh, What do we learn about Jesus? Jesus gave himself for our sins. This process that Jesus, as he was arrested and he went to the cross, this was his own choice, his own doing. He allowed it to happen. It didn't happen to him. He gave of himself. Uh, In the Gospels, he said that he uh, gave himself as a ransom for many, that he went to the cross and he paid the the payment that needed to be paid uh, that was due for our sins. He went to the cross. The wrath of the Father was placed upon him. Uh, He was our substitute. A key theological term, substitutionary atonement, that like a substitute teacher goes and fills in for another teacher so that the class can continue He went to the cross on our behalf. He stood in my place for me so that he might rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever. So that uh, there's the, he he stood in our place for our sins so that he might rescue us. This whole, the might. Uh, This is a, the, the, the rescue is conditioned on your response. He's done everything for you. You've been saved by grace. This, this happens, this actuated by faith. You're believing, you're trusting, you're responding uh, to the action that he did. I, uh, one of the stories that I often share about is the show The Deadliest Catch. I haven't watched it in a long, long time. But one of the early episodes, I remember this. this uh, they're coming out of Dutch Harbor. It's wintertime, bad storm. There's two ships, sort of uh, one's in front, the, the other one's in the back, and they're talking about the just the the fatalness of the water and the cold. And I, I, if you went into the water without a suit, uh, you had like a three minutes to be rescued before you would perish. And a guy goes out, and they said that for the first boat where he fell off to, to loop back around, to get him would take too much time. He would perish. They, they wouldn't have time. But that second boat, they were able to radio the second boat and say, hey, we had a guy go overboard. That boat was able to go straight to the individual. And they threw a life ring to the, to the guy. The guy was able to get it onto him himself before he lost dexterity in his hands. And they, uh, they were able to pull him aboard. And the scene inside of that boat was uh, was fascinating to, to me. Um, the The guy was so grateful, like he was so horribly shaking. They were trying to bundle him up. They were trying to 
to warm him up, and he just was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, like he recognized that he was dead. And his life was spared because of what they did. He provided nothing. Just because he grabbed the life ring, that doesn't mean he responded to what they did. They saved him. They did everything. And, and so our faith isn't a work. It's responding to what God has, has done, that he gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. And so Jesus, the gospel, is that he has stood in your place. It's available to you. But we have to respond. It's not forced upon you. It's not something that God does on your behalf so that you have no choice. We're not robots. He's done everything. You simply respond. And in this response, this is what the condition is. Did you respond? Have you responded to God's message of love and desire for you to come into everlasting life? so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I, I, he does it, but we see the, the picture and the nature and the character of God. He's provided a way for us to be right with him. It's conditioned on our responding, on our accepting the gift by faith. But ultimately we see what is God's position. So if we die apart from him, this whole issue of fairness, it's not about fairness. We don't want fairness. It's, it's not fair what happens. Fairness is that we are punished for our sin and the sin that we bear. We're told here that God loves us. His desire for us is to respond He's provided everything so that we could have everlasting with life with him, that we could stand before him justified because of what Christ has done. But the only thing, the only barrier that we have that's keeping us is our rejection of him or our acceptance of him. This is the condition. And so as we go through this letter together, as we make our way through Galatians, my prayer is that we would understand what justification is, what the gospel is, what Jesus has done on our behalf. If you're a Christian, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad. I want you to know this. If you are new to the faith and you don't understand these things, my prayer is that you would have clarity about what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you have not responded to the gospel, my prayer is that you would come to understand with clarity what the offer and the decision is before you so that you might respond by faith and receive Jesus as your Savior. In these opening verses, we see uh, Paul starts out swinging, defending his uh, um, apostolic authority, ultimately to show that he is an apostle so that his words do have authority that, 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 that he speaks on behalf of God. And we see right away the exclusivity of Christ and that he is, he is the only way for man to get right with God. Uh, Tim Keller says this about Galatians. Galatians is all about the gospel, which all of us need throughout all of our lives. It's dynamic, 
And I pray that it explodes in your heart and makes you passionate to see it do the same work in others' hearts as you read this book. This is my prayer for us as well as we go through this. Uh, So with that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time uh, that we have with one another. Father, I pray that you would lead us and guide us as we uh, make our way through Galatians. I ask that you would help us to understand what was said and what it means and how it applies to our life. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see uh, the gospel for all that it is. For those of us who have uh, come to faith in you and walk with you as your children, I pray that you would help us to never uh, grow old or apathetic, like bored, I should say, of the gospel, that we should never grow apathetic of the gospel, that our passion for you would, would grow and expand and, and, and really explode in our hearts day by day. Father, I do pray for those who are listening who are maybe unsure about where they stand with you, that, uh, that the gospel would be clearly explained over the next few weeks and months as we uh, navigate this powerful little book. Uh, we do love you, Father. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you next time. I'm encouraged by all of the the coronavirus numbers. It seems like everything's uh, decreasing. And and hopefully uh, I will be able to see you in person soon. And uh, just again, I wish you a wonderful week. Uh, Lord bless you all. Goodbye.